This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program and the close of another crazy week. I hope you're getting more used to this than I am. I don't know if I really want to get used to it, but thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions or dealing with any issue in your heart. We'll do the best that we can. We open the Word and we give the answer from our Bibles. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. Again, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and you will be uh, connected directly to the studio producer. Uh, Tonight, because it's Friday, we're going to be having our Friday night service. I'm teaching um, about suffering, but it's really important. I know nobody likes to talk about suffering, but First Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12 through the end of the chapter, and you can watch that uh, live streaming it at calvarysa.com. Uh, again, there will be only a very few people here, less than 10, uh, who helped me get this done, and our worship team, of course, but we'd love to have you join us on the live stream. I think this is sort of a big boy Christian, big girl Christian Bible study. Uh, We need to toughen up, and I think that's what Peter is trying to communicate. On Sunday, we'll be doing the live stream service again, and we are going to be closing out uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. So that's what's on our schedule. Whatever's on your schedule, remember, um, Jesus has a plan for you, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Okay, let's get to some questions. Let me start with a comment. I had a really nice email sent to us from Princess, who is uh, um, she's a semi-regular person who asks questions, uh, and she's got a couple of ideas. She says, each day I've intended on choosing eight individuals from my contact list and calling each one and asking them how they are physically, emotionally, financially, and spiritually, and prays for them. Since now I'm teleworking, I take Bible breaks on the front porch to pray and read scripture. I'm also sending healthy recipes with photos of meals. Don't send me photos, Princess. It makes me hungry. 
uh, meals I'm making to encourage others to maintain their wellness during this time. Princess, thank you for offering those suggestions. You know, when we find ourselves with too much idle time, there's a whole bunch of bad things that can happen. So uh, God bless you for doing this, and especially for calling people, um, not texting them, but calling people and talking to them verbally. Uh, that really, really matters a great deal. And I think eight uh, people every day is really a great commitment. Uh, we'll be praying for you, Princess, and you stay with your Bible. You stay with Jesus, and he will bless you. Great call, or great email. Here's a question from Bradley. I want to know about soldiers or policemen who kill someone. Can they be forgiven? Um, Bradley, there's there's just wars, and there's just use of force. And so, of course, the answer is yes. We've got a lot of policemen in our church and bunches and bunches of, of people with military backgrounds. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, that's, that's doing your job. In the Bible, from the beginning uh, through the end, um, there's, there's uh, examples of just wars, wars that God uh, sent people on himself. And, you know, the, the commandment doesn't say thou shalt not kill it. It really says, and it ought to be translated this way, uh, thou shalt not murder. And when you are a soldier or you're a police officer and you have to kill somebody um, in defense of, of human life or, or, or because the war that you're in demands, uh, the battle demands it, that, that that happens, then, of course, um, they can be forgiven. Now, here's what I want to point out, Bradley. I think we're looking at an act instead of looking at the heart. The real question is, what about the soldiers or policemen and women who uh, aren't saved? I mean, I think, Bradley, this is uh, a source of prayer for all of us that we need to take advantage of. Uh, we've got a lot of cops, I said a moment ago, in our, in our church, and I pray for them continually. Um, but, but, but I'm more worried, frankly, about those men and women who are protecting us but those who aren't saved I don't know how they deal with the ugliness that they see I don't know how they deal with the tragedy that is constantly confronting them um, so the issue for them isn't being forgiven because they might have had to use their gun use deadly force to stop someone you see they cannot be forgiven of any sin apart from Jesus Christ and that's why we need to pray for our active duty men and women uh, who are or in parts of the world where they're in danger. We need to pray for our, our, our firefighters, our police officers, our first responders in general, um, because they're risking their lives. And as noble as it is to rush into danger, to risk your lives to, for the benefit of saving others, as noble as that is, it has no value eternally if they don't know Jesus Christ. So I think it's really important I think, Bradley, one other thing that we can really consider praying for is um, that um, God would call Christians, lots of Christians, into, into those services, whether it's the military or, or, or police forces, firefighters. Um, we need Christians out on the streets. We need Christians there at the time of trauma. And I think we really need to be in prayer. A lot of cops are Christians, but there are many, many more who aren't. So Bradley, yes, they don't need to be forgiven for 
killing someone, the commandment is thou shalt not murder. Here is a question from Helen. She said, Pastor Ron, if nice older people die because of this coronavirus, will they still go to hell if they are not Christians? Um, Helen, as harsh as this sounds, and I can hear your heart here, but as harsh as this sounds, everybody's going to go to hell apart from Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what they die of. It doesn't matter whether it's a virus. Nobody expected this kind of situation to be uh, to be here, but here we are. Um, I think the Holy Spirit will use this to try to get people's um, hearts and, and minds on things above. Um, so, yeah, I, we all know really nice older people. We know, we know nice younger people. But they're not good, and it's not because, well, they got caught up in this um, virus. Um, we simply need to understand that every single man and woman is walking around with a fatal disease. That disease is sin. And only the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. And since Jesus is his own words, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, then the focus of our prayers ought always then to be that people would get saved. And when you see nice older people who are afraid of this virus or some who are going to, to, to catch it, then then you have the opportunity, whenever God provides it, you have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And if you really, really are concerned that they might go to hell, well, then you turn into an evangelist. I know, Helen, we like to think that's not my responsibility. Who am I to tell somebody about Jesus? But if you really care for people, and if, as your question suggests, you're really concerned about people dying and going to hell, then you've got to tell them. You've got to tell them. I don't want to come across people who have a short time to live and not tell them about Jesus. So, Helen, that's the best way to express your concern, but the answer to your question is yes. I think if I read the, the, the intent of your question correctly, Helen, I think the intent is, well, this is something nobody could have planned on. Well, neither is a car accident. Neither is a heart attack. Things happen. We're not guaranteed, any of us, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So what we got to do, Ellen, is prepare people, or at least try to prepare people for the unexpected. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. The Lord gives, the Lord takes. Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. So Helen, tell people about Jesus, and at least if they reject Jesus, their blood will not be on you. 340-9585 on this last day of the week. This is a question from Vance. He says, in Mark chapter 14, verse 52, who was the young man who ran away naked? Uh, Vance, uh, the, the, the overwhelming evidence and the prevailing thought throughout um, the early church history uh, to, to the very time that we live in is that this young man was John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark. When I see things like this, I see sometimes like the fingerprint of the Holy Spirit, just, okay, Mark's gospel, this was Mark. And he speaks about him in the third person. 
Um, but um, it, it's almost certainly John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark. Now, Vince, one thing that we need to, to understand about Mark's Gospel is that um, Mark um, got his information from Peter. It's, it's Peter's perspective on the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons it has such great value for us. So Mark is telling Peter's story and um, um, tells a little bit about Peter's personality in the process. So John Mark is the man, the young man who ran away naked. Here is a question from Sarah. She says, uh, in a church, which is more important, community outreach, evangelism, or discipling believers? Well, Sarah, I don't think there is a more important. They're all important. Now, I'm going to change the order a little bit. I think um, discipling believers is, of course, the most important thing in terms of a foundation lay that we can do. We've got to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We do that by teaching the Word of God. We do that by giving them a solid foundation. Now, when we teach the Word, when we equip them for the work of ministry, then evangelism becomes a natural outworking of that. Every Christian who... Uh, knows what God has done for them. I often recommend on this program people reading Ephesians, um, people that are just getting started because the first three chapters of Ephesians um, are all about what God has done for us. By the time you get to chapter 4, verse 1, you're so grateful for what God has done that then you're ready to turn um, that into action in your life. And the last three chapters of Ephesians are, are all about what our proper response ought then to be to what God has done. And one of those responses is to tell people about Jesus. I also think, Sarah, that when that happens, then community outreach is going to happen because uh, a church that teaches the Bible, the people are going to be aware that church isn't what happens here. What happens when we leave church is how we go out and we represent Jesus in our community. And so there's community outreach, and a lot of times that community outreach takes the form of evangelism. But there's also a bunch more things. I was just talking to my producer before uh, the program started, and there's a public school in Live Oak that is passing out uh, food to kids who are school age. All the parents have to do is drive them through, and all the kids there, they get lunches. They can, what do you want? Do you want this or do you want this? And that's community outreach. Um... Sarah, you've been listening to our program, I hope. You know, we have a a full family practice doctor's office, Malta Medical. That's community outreach. We watch people terrified of this coronavirus situation. And and they come in and, and we're able to comfort them. We're able to tell them about Jesus. And because they're afraid, their hearts are prepared. And Sarah, you and everybody else in this audience can be praying not only for protection for our doctors and our staff there, but, but also um, that people would get saved every day. That's what we see happening when, when people are afraid. Um, that's community outreach. We have a free school, not just for kids from Calvary Chapel. We have free school. That's community outreach. We have a home for... Uh, women who have had difficulty, whether young women with babies or women who've been abused by uh, boyfriends or husbands. 
some who are out of jail and trying to get their life started. We've got a, a ministry. People can come and live. Women can come and live there for free. That's community outreach. But every one of those community outreaches, Sarah, has been a result of teaching the word, discipling believers, and equipping them to use the gifts that God has given. So when you really understand that, there's no more important. It's all important. But everything stems from discipling believers in and through the Word. The rest of it is the result of those things. So, Sarah, I hope that makes sense to you. It's, uh, um, you know, whenever you see a church with a mission statement that, well, you know, here's what we do, uh, unless it starts out with teaching the Word, discipling believers, um, then it's not going to be effective. Good question. Thank you. Got another NT Wright question. This one is from Andrew. He says, Andrew says, Have you read N.T. Wright's perspective on Paul's letters? If so, what do you think? Um, Andrew, I haven't read, I mean, if he's got a published work about the letters of Paul, I haven't read that, but I've listened to enough N.T. Wright to understand what that perspective would be. Now, one of the things that we need to understand is that N.T. Wright uh, is uh, a man who opposes, he's an Episcopalian uh, priest, but he opposes the whole concept of of um, atonement, um, the, the idea that God judged Jesus for the sins of the world, that the peace or the the punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him. Isaiah fifty three says. So um, I, I'm I'm really not interested. I don't think somebody who denies uh, the atonement. Um, um, I, I'm, I'm not interested in their perspective on Paul's letters. I don't think a man like that can read with understanding if he's reading through that lens um, the, the letters of the Apostle Paul. So I think it's it's important. We, we have to understand doctrine. We've got to understand the foundation. And while N.T. Wright is a brilliant man, and while he is a gifted communicator, we also need to remember that he's an Episcopalian and for a very, very long time, Andrew, the Episcopal Church has thrown out the Bible. They, they don't consider it the Word of God. So again, N.T. Wright is persuasive. He is. Uh, he now has a, a, a big presence on YouTube and other social media platforms. Um, but again, as a denier of the atonement, um, the, the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross. Jesus literally got on that cross from me. As a denier of the atonement, I don't think anything that he has to say, well, there's some good ideas, and I told you already he's smart, nothing he has to say has much value at all. So, Andrew, that's my perspective. Um, I'm unaware if he has a a book on his perspective in, on uh, the letters of Paul. 340-9585. Our phones are quiet. Uh, by now, you all got to be stir-crazy, so call. Joey says, what is the best way for me to comfort my Christian friends who are really afraid of this coronavirus? Um, Joey, the, there's only one way to comfort people, and that's to... to direct them to Jesus. There's nothing you can say, there's nothing you can do that's going to take away the fear of somebody who doesn't know Christ. 
Now, you talk about your Christian friends. Well, your Christian friends, you can sit down with them and talk to them about Jesus without taking any risks. So talk to them about the do not worry passages. Talk to them about the do not be afraid passages. Be anxious for nothing passages. Talk to them about the promises of God in Romans chapter 8. Remind them that the Apostle Paul, with severe physical affliction, having asked three times for the Lord to take it from him, three times the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for you, my grace is enough. So I think the way you comfort them is to get their focus less on what they're afraid of and more on the one who can deal with that fear. And of course, that's Jesus. So Joey, sit down with him, read the Bible to him, do Bible studies, do what Princess did, contact them regularly and let them know that you're praying for them and ask if there's anything that you can do. But you want to point them to Jesus because Joey is... Well-intentioned as your heart is here, you cannot provide them comfort. You can't take away their fear. Only the Spirit of God can. And I think there are times we're going to remind Christians who have seemingly forgotten who Jesus is. That's what happens when we get afraid of something. We forget what we know about Jesus. I think then what we can do is we can remind them always. And then pray, pray, pray. Pray that the Spirit of God would provide the peace that passes understanding. That they would recognize that the one who suffered and died for them on the cross is at this very instant making intercession for them. You can pray that they would be filled afresh with the Spirit each and every day. And then while fear is a constant in our lives, you can pray that they wouldn't give in to fear. That they'd keep their focus on the Lord. Stay in touch with them, Joy. Good for you. Ben wants to know, how should I respond to someone who says, I'm sorry, how should I respond to someone who thinks only what Jesus actually says in the Bible matters. Um, ben, there's actually a, a term for them, red-letter Christians, they call themselves. And that term uh, it just indicates that they, they, they value only the sayings of Jesus. Letters, the words of Jesus and red letters in most of our Bibles. And they say, well, you know, if Jesus didn't say, about, say something about it, then, then I don't need to worry about it. I'll give you one example, Ben, the, the, the whole um, issue of homosexuality in our culture. You know, I've had people who are red-letter Christians, they'll say, and, and by the way, red-letter Christians almost certainly are not real Christians. That's what they call themselves. But when you deny the Word of God, you're denying Jesus. And fans say, well, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. If it was important, Jesus would have said it. I said, Jesus did say it. He said it through Paul. He said it through Peter. He said it through um, uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke. And he said it through, through all of the other writings in our New Testament. He said it through the writers of the Old Testament. And they simply reject it because it's not something they want to hear. And Ben, what it really represents is an opportunity 
for people to disregard the things in the scriptures that they don't like. Things like, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in church. Things like, flee from sexual immorality or pray without ceasing. And what they don't realize, because they haven't really studied their Bible, is that every word in that Bible is written by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who inspired Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to write down the words of Jesus. The same Holy Spirit who inspired Luke to write the book of Acts. The same Holy Spirit who pushed the pens of men so it was a human vessel doing the writing, but it was the Spirit of God forming the thoughts and the words. And so what you need to do is tell people that eternity depends on it. This is an important issue. They've got to, they've got to discover for themselves. But then these people almost are never really saved. They're not born again. And if they want to argue with that, you can say, okay, in red letters, Jesus said you must be born again. He said it in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. So tell me, when were you born again? And that gives you an opening to talk to them. But they don't understand the Bible. They're not serious students. They, they are shutting themselves off from the things they don't want to hear. And that describes a whole bunch of people who call themselves Christians. Good question, Ben. Thanks a lot. Well, we've only got 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585. We'd love your calls and questions. This is the Word to Stand Them for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the Word to Stand On for Life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. Sometimes two minutes goes so fast. That was one of those times. 340-9585. Here's a question from Anne-Marie. Pastor Ron, is there one part of the Bible that is more important than others? I'm talking about the Old Testament, New Testament, the Gospels, Epistles, Psalms. Is there something more important? Uh, and Marie, no. They're all important. They all have different purposes. Um, the Old Testament, I always liken that to, and, and maybe I'm dating myself, but um, uh, connect the dots, coloring books. Uh, your kid, one, two, three, and then you've got an outline of something, then they can color it in. Well, the New Testament sort of colors in the, the outline that the Old Testament gives us. Um, um, the, the, the books of poetry, Job and Psalms and uh, Proverbs and Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes, and uh, th- those are lamentations, is also uh, a poetic in construct. Um, um, they, they serve different purposes. Um, you don't make doctrine, for instance, out of the poetic books. Uh, it's just people expressing their hearts. 
uh, in, in poetic form, telling stories in poetic form. Um, but the value and the practical value of those uh, are immense. Uh, the New Testament, of course, is is the foundation that we live on, the, the, the Gospels and the Epistles uh, and the Book of Acts. So, Henry, the, the most important thing any Christian can do is just turn pages. Read, 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 read. Now, I don't suggest reading it from back or front to back. Um, uh, I've always suggested on this program um, reading an Old Testament book and a New Testament book at the same time. Um, Genesis and and um, one of the New Testament epistles. Um, John, uh, the Gospel of John, you can read with, with Genesis. It's a great counterpart. Uh, the, the book of Joshua and the book of Revelation goes together quite well. Um, Leviticus. No, nobody likes to read Leviticus. But when you read it with Hebrews, it sort of comes to life and you look for Jesus in those pages. And it really does change things for you, change your perspective. So get a, an overall perspective on your Bible and then um, go from reading to studying and you're going to find in Marie that that the Lord will speak to you on every page. Look for Jesus on every page and he will speak to you on every page. There are some books of the Bible that frankly are tedious. you got to just get through them. It's discipline. But there's always a blessing in those books. I mentioned the book of Revelation. It's the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing for those who read it. So I think they're really, really important. By the way, if you'll dig into the Old Testament, especially the prophets, you won't have much difficulty at all understanding the book of Revelation um, at all. So I hope that I uh, hope that helps. Let's go to Ron from San Antonio on line one. Ron, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Ron. I uh, really appreciate your show. Thank you. And, uh, I've been listening to you for years. And uh, I just want to say one thing. Uh, you know, uh, many times when they talk about abortions, the um, people say that the woman has a right when the child's uh, life. Mm-hmm. What came today was... Uh, Nobody has the right, only God. Mm-hmm. I just kind of wanted to pass that on to you as, you know, a response, I guess. Um, do you think I'm right? All right? I think you're absolutely right, Ron. Thou shalt not murder um, is the commandment in the Old Testament, and it runs through all of the New Testament. We have no right to take a life. Only God does. Not only with abortion that goes with euthanasia, um, the, the the die with dignity movement, only God. Life is in His hands, and we understand that. Then we value life. And Ron, those who would take the life of an innocent child, some 65 million babies have been murdered since Roe v. Wade in 1973. Um, they have no understanding of the value of life. They value freedom to sin more than the value of life. And when somebody says to me, well, well, I, I'm pro-choice, um, I always want to ask them, well, where's the baby's choice? The baby has no choice in this matter, and the baby has a, a right to live. And, and when you think about all of the children, we've, in, we've murdered an entire generation since 1973. We've murdered an entire generation. How many scientists, 
how many pastors, how many evangelists, how many uh, doctors, um, research scientists, how many wonderfully gifted musicians, we'll never know. Because those 65 million or so babies never had anybody who cared about protecting them. And that's unfortunate, Ron, the way it's been in this country. And, um, you know, we have a little bit of hope that the tide of abortion might be stemmed. But uh, this country is never going to turn the other direction on abortion. Um, That door has been opened and that's what happened. So, Ron, you're right. Uh, Nobody has a right to take a life. 340-9585, 340-9585, um, the governor of Texas, I'm just being told um, a day or so ago, in enacted abortion or enforced, I guess, abortion to be stopped during this crisis. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Thank you, Ron. And since you've been listening for a long time, thank you for finally calling. 340-9585, my next question comes from Nicole. Uh, you said on a recent program that Mary thought Jesus was crazy along with his brothers and sisters. How can that be true for Mary since she obviously knew who he was? You know, that is a, a difficult question, um, Nicole. Um, I, I think what we have to do is we have to understand what it must have been like. You know, Mary had the promises of God. She saw Gabriel. Uh, she knew she hadn't slept with Joseph. Uh, she knew the divine origin of the child. But 30 years pass, and nothing happened. And then when it, it, it it's time, Jesus begins his ministry with the wedding in Cana. The first miracle was at that wedding. Uh, and she seemed to have really insight. Do whatever he tells you to do, she told the servants. And yet, like all Jews... She was not prepared for the Messiah to be rejected. And how confusing it must have been when she would think about, well, why are things turning out this? Why are they plotting his murder? The other siblings, most notably James, the Lord's half-brother, seems to sort of be in charge of this rescue mission. And maybe Mary was convinced And we also remember that John the Baptist knew who Jesus was, and yet he had doubts. And the doubts, Nicole, always come from things not turning out the way you thought they would. Well, if he was really the Christ, wouldn't we be in control now? Wouldn't he be establishing his kingdom? Wouldn't he defend himself? Wouldn't he fight? And imagine, too, how uncomfortable it was for Jesus' immediate family. All the attention, the unwanted attention that was brought upon them. And they concluded he was out of his mind. And for a moment, Mary was convinced. And so they went to take him because he was out of his mind. They literally thought he'd lost his mind. So, Nicole, as hard as it is for us to understand, how many times have you had doubts about the goodness of God or the plan of God? Because it didn't go the way you expected at night. In First Peter chapter 4, we'll be talking about suffering. And when we suffer, we think, God, where are you? Don't you love me? How can we doubt the love of God? We know it. 
It was demonstrated for us on the cross at Calvary. And yet we too forget it when we're in pain. When we go through those dry times spiritually where God doesn't seem to be doing anything, we cry, where are you, Lord? We forget what we knew. He said he would never leave us or forsake us. And yet we're asking why he did. And I can give you a whole bunch of examples, but the idea is sometimes our focus is so on the circumstances of our life that we lose contact with Jesus. And that's when doubts begin. Peter knew who Jesus was. He denied him three times. Judas knew who Jesus was. And he betrayed him. So why do we betray the Lord? Why do we have doubts? Simple. Because things don't go the way we want them to or the way we expected them to. 340-9585. Here's a question from Sam. Is the idea of someone taking the title of apostle biblical? Sam, it is not. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 makes it really, really clear that there are no modern-day apostles, there are no modern-day prophets. They, the apostles and the prophets, are the foundation already laid by Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone, we're told. So when someone takes upon themselves the uh, title of apostle, um, it is a, a, a self-appointed title. It has no value at all. It's someone who is not a good student of the Bibles. So, Sam, good question. Let's go to Jim calling on line one from San Antonio. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thanks for having my question. Appreciate it. My, my um, pleasure. I a question of um, faith. And Jesus teaching on faith from Matthew chapter 17. After the transfiguration, he came down the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And he met the, uh, that was unable to cast out this demon. And in verse 20 of chapter 17, um, after the disciples asked privately, why can we not cast it out? Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it shall move and nothing shall be impossible for you. And in brackets, it says, but this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. So as I heard him, as I read him say that, I always think he would say, if you have faith as a pumpkin, because like a mustard seed is small, he said your faith is little. <laughs> what, uh, why did he say mustard seed? Um, great, great question. And Jim, I'm laughing because this, this passage of Scripture always makes me laugh. It always makes me laugh. Now, you got to understand what's going on. We've got Peter, James, and John with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're having this, this heavenly moment up there. And they come down, and the disciples who are at the bottom have been confronted by some Jewish exorcists. Um, there's a father whose boy is a demoniac, and, 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 the, and the father is desperate. Just somebody cast out demons and and he would go to Jesus disciples and the reason he would go to the disciples is because word would have spread that those disciples had cast out uh, demons before uh, even demons were subject to our name 
And, and the, the, the Pharisees would come and they would say, no, we're the ones that cast out demons. And the problem is nobody could cast them out. So while they're arguing, this poor man is in all kinds of pain. And when Jesus comes down to this argument, um, Jesus rebuked the demon, came out of the boy, and from that instant he was healed. And then when the disciples came to Jesus, this is not a rebuke so much as it is a teaching moment. They asked him, well, why couldn't we drive it out before? Now, uh, keep in mind, they had done it before when the the father came to them and said, uh, will you cast out or can you cast out the demon from my son? They would have thought, sure we can. Done it lots of times. And they would have done, they would have shouted, I bind you, get out, whatever it is they said. But the demons wouldn't control them. And, and Jesus told them, you have so little faith. Now, they had faith before when Jesus gave them authority. Okay. But here's what they're doing, and this is really important to consider. This time, they were trying to cast out demons based on having done it before, rather than okay. going to God and asking for fresh power. And that's what Jesus is telling them. Look, you can't use a power, the authority I gave you in a previous incident. You can't use that power authority now. You need new power. You need new authority. And if they had faith, they would have gone to God and said, God, would you give us the power to cast this oh. demon out? And I'm sure the story would have been different. Now, with regarding to the mustard seed, um, uh, this is a common reference of Jesus. And basically, here's what he's saying is, look, if you just believe in me enough, just enough to come to me and ask for that power, then there's nothing that you can't do. Okay. And the, the, the idea of move, saying, to, saying to this mountain, move from here, uh, or another one says, and, and go into the sea, um, that's from um, Zechariah. It's a very Jewish reference to mountain wasn't a physical mountain. It was the biggest of all problems. It was just this immovable, difficult uh, problem. And, and, and Jesus said, look, I'll move those mountains out of your way if you'll just come to me for fresh power. And Jim, for you and for me, um, we see people all the time who God has used in the past, and we, and and now God's not using them, and they're kind of complaining about, well, God doesn't use me anymore. I don't hear God's voice. He's not speaking to me. And the reason is because they're, they're living off past experiences instead of getting up every day and understanding the need for fresh power. The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit over and over and over, all day, every day, be ye continually being filled, Paul writes. Um, that needs to be our experience. And if we have faith, we don't depend on what we've done. If we have faith, then we go to Jesus and ask him, okay, Lord, how can I be used to accomplish what you want to do? These disciples were stepping out in faith of their own ability. Sure, I did it before. I'll do it again. And uh, and Jesus is, I always picture him, he's very Jewish, of course. I always picture him shaking his head with his hand to his forehead saying, Oy vey, have you been with me for so long and you still don't know these things? So that's what's going on in that passage of Scripture. Does that help? Really helpful. Could I ask a follow-up question if you had? Sure you can. Um, yes. I, because Jesus has such delight in seeing our faith and our mission to grow in our faith. I heard a, a man sharing this. He said, 
you may want to believe God for some smaller things first before you believe for bigger things. Like he said, believe God to heal you of dandruff before you might be able to believe God to heal somebody of cancer. And I thought, I just never heard that before, but do you have any thoughts on what I could do to grow my faith? Yeah, I do. And Jim, um, this is one of the most important questions anybody can ask. In order for your faith to grow, you have to give Jesus the opportunity to prove trustworthy. And the only way we can do that is by saying yes to him. And, and the idea of l- believing little things or before big things is nonsense. Um, uh, right. We're to believe God in everything. So when uh, God, he'll never ask you something that you're not prepared to, to, to respond to. But uh, Jesus asks us to believe. And, and then whatever he tells us is something that he's promised that he'll do. So I think our problem is we misunderstand that whole passage. Well, I'm going to believe for a million dollars. I'm going to believe for this new house. Instead of just saying, you know what, Lord, I'm going to believe that today you're going to use me. And every time you take that step of faith and God shows up for you, every time, then you're going to be more emboldened the next time he asks you to do something. You know, Jim, when we first got here, um, the, the very first step of faith that God really asked me to take was w- w- dealing with radio programs. We couldn't afford to pay our rent. And um, um, I, I paid for a radio spot that we'd arranged with Raul Reese. And we had a church of 14,000 people. We had a church of 14 people at the time. But uh, he couldn't do it. And, God, and the Lord spoke to him and said, pay, you pay for it. So we paid for his radio program, and God provided every time. Now, because we didn't have anything, that seemed like a huge thing. Now, 24 years later, it doesn't seem like a big thing at all. And the, the things that God asks us to do, whether it's a free school or the free medical clinic or, or any of the other things yeah. that we do here, um, um, none of those things that he asks that, that look huge to other people, nothing was as hard as that very first time. Hmm. So you say yes, God takes your hand, he takes you to the next place, he's going to ask you to do something, and then you say yes again, and your trust is going to grow. And Jim, the, the, the way it works for me is I'm at the place right now in my life where there just isn't anything. I wouldn't say yes to the Lord if I was sure it was him. There's nothing I wouldn't say yes to because I've seen him do impossible things so many times. So given the chance to show off for you and through you, and uh, you'll be eager to take the next step of faith. Cool. Kind of relates to David when he said, God delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, and he's going to uh, enable me to kill this uncircumcised when he met Goliath. Is that kind of a similar principle? It sure is. Everybody, everybody looked at Goliath as a giant. David looked at him and said, he's nothing compared to the size of God. And, and he would have that moment, that flashback where he'd look back and say, look, the lion, the bear, that was God preparing me for this moment, for such a time as this. And that's what faith is. Faith right. realizes we have no opportunity. Thank you, Jim. Faith realizes we have no option of saying no to the Lord. It doesn't matter what he asks. We don't have the option of saying no. That's real faith. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Seguin for an anonymous call on line two. Thank you for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. I have well, how are questions. you? Okay. I'm well. Uh, I have two questions. Uh, I have a 
friend that got their masters from Liberty University, and they mm-hmm. failed to see how Melchizedek was a type of Christ. And I want your response to that question. And after that, the year of Jubilee, Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies and the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. How does the year of Jubilee affect us Christians today? That's Good questions. I, that's all I have thank, for you. Thank you. It's wonderful to hear your voice again. God bless. Um, Melchizedek. Now, Liberty University isn't all that focused on doctrine. There's a lot of issues doctrinally with Liberty University. Uh, I, I don't think they would have a problem with Melchizedek being a type of Christ. What they have a problem with is that Melchizedek was Christ. Um, you can't read that passage, or at least you shouldn't be able to read that passage and 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 not see that this is Jesus appearing. Abraham saw my day, Jesus said. Well, when did that happen? It happened when Melchizedek, in in a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, Jesus came and offered uh, the elements of, uh, we know the elements of communion now, but, but Melchizedek was Jesus, and the people at Liberty, um, not big on doctrine, wouldn't really understand that. So um, uh, that's the answer, but, but Melchizedek was Jesus in pre-incarnate, pre-incarnate form. The era of Jubilee doesn't really have any value for us now. It was a picture of being free. It's a picture of having all of our, our stuff restored to us. It's a picture of of a new beginning. Uh, and when we, we think about um, what that year of Jubilee represented, where, where everything that was destroyed by sin in this world was returned to its rightful owner. Well, when we get saved, when we give our heart to Jesus Christ, um, quoting the prophet Joel, um, the years that the cankerworm or the locust is eaten will be restored. And that's what the, the, the year of Jubilee represents, a complete restoration of everything that we have in Christ. Um, the value we have is the fulfillment of the year of Jubilee. Now there's a great fulfillment coming when Jesus is going to come and reestablish his throne on this earth and we're going to rule and reign with him. But when we do that, um, we'll understand what real Jubilee is all about. Great questions. And again, it's really, really wonderful to hear from you. We pray for you from time to time. Haven't heard from you for quite a while. Great, great to hear from you. One for one more question. Let me see. Oh, one minute. Um, Jennifer says, "Why did Jesus have to be baptized? He he was baptized. He didn't have to be baptized because that's for remission of sins. But Jennifer, he was baptized um, to identify with sinful man. We do need to be baptized. We do need to have our sins washed away. Jesus identified with us in our sin." in the ritual of baptism. Even John the Baptist thought it was silly, but Jesus said, do this to fulfill in all the righteousness. Hey, have a great week. Now remember, um, online you can watch your pastor, you can go to church, but just keep Jesus at the center of everything that you do. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday on AM 630 The Word at 4 o'clock. We'll see you then. 
Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Hallelujah.